Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Frontend Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you, Scott? I'm really good. Um, the The sun is shining. We're still locked in our houses, but I think that uh, <laughs> we're all... This has become reality. Now, uh, now I dread to think about going outside. But maybe over the, over the weekend, maybe I'll make it to the supermarket. <laughs> Something exciting <laughs> like that. Yeah, these are interesting times for sure. Uh, today's episode is sponsored, as always, by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we are, as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. Um, the topic for today's show is, where did they get those wonderful toys? Um, and we'll be discussing sort of, you know, the... Uh, the fancy things that we build for ourselves as frontenders. Um, there's been, you know, uh, a shift over uh, the years to a lot of client side things. Node came into play and and just meant that so many things could be built with JavaScript. Now, um, we, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get started on talking about the tools and toys that we use as developers. Um, so, yeah, the the first kind of starting point uh i guess was actually suggested by one of our fans is that safe to say scott let's say it let's say it. let's big ourselves up <laughs> she called herself a fan i mean we, we, yeah. we have to we have to take her word for it for sure uh another one of our co-workers natalia vendito who has recently become a google developer expert which is amazing and awesome she's a really talented individual and grateful to have her as a colleague and friend um scott maybe uh you can broach the subject that she so kindly offered up yeah so um the other day on twitter um adi asmani actually uh, tweeted about support in safari for the resize observer finally being implemented um which really like made me happy because um a few months ago i'd actually utilized the the resize observer um, when I was putting lazy loading into a site that I work on. Um, and so I retweeted this uh, and said, I just love to see somebody uh, tweet about this and actually know that you've already implemented something. Um, to which Natalia replied, well, why don't you tell us more about this on the podcast? So um, so here goes. Uh, thank you for the suggestion, Natalia. Um, yeah, so a few months ago, I was looking, we still hadn't got um, lazy loading into a site that I work on. Um, and a few months prior to that, I'd actually read about um, the intersection observer and uh, the resize observer. And these were things that at the time I didn't really need, but they were, when I was reading about them, they were the kind of thing that I thought, let's store this away because in the future, this could be pretty useful um, and make things make things easy to, to implement. And sure enough, the, the task came along um, I went back to, to the articles and I thought, yeah, actually, this is exactly the kind of thing that, uh, that I want to implement. So just to take you through like the, the, um, the larger impl uh, implementation of it, uh, basically, I actually set this so that the first thing that happened um, was that I implemented the intersection observer. Now, the intersection observer allows us to um, check whether something is actually at a certain point on the uh, on the viewport on the page, um, and in this case, what I was interested in was: is this vis is this element visible? Um, if it is, then I want to actually load an image. So there we have the lazy loading. Um, but in but there was another problem that we had with the site that I was working on. We were actually using the picture tag um, to decide which image it should serve. Now, this worked okay, but we had three options. Um, and the, what, the, what the, the picture tag actually does is decides um, what the most appropriate size image is for the viewport that it's actually in. Um, so if you were working on a large desktop, then it would probably serve the, it would serve the biggest image that it could. But I found that that didn't really um, help in this situation because the the component that was being used, for instance, could be 300 pixels wide, but serving something, serving an image that could be that would be suitable for 1,200 pixels wide. So I decided I needed some way of um, reworking the, the the size of image, 
And that, in this instance, was the resize observer. Um, and the resize observer actually allows us to um, observe a, a particular component, a particular space on the on the viewport. Um, and from this, we can make a decision about the size of the image that we want to serve. When I put these two things together, then I actually saw like um, a good performance improvement. Um, it freed up loading the images uh, immediately, um, and it also allowed us to serve an image, a much smaller image, uh, for the the components that we're actually using. And of course, be, being a resize observer, the resize observer actually continues looking at the the size of the image, uh, the size of the the content rather, um, even during. Like if you if you're on a a tablet, for instance, switching from landscape to portrait, it actually um, makes adjustments for the size of image. In my case, um, for that, so the I, I hope that that kind of gives you an idea of the implementation that I did, um, and the two reasons why those observers are actually important um, and super easy to to implement when you consider the steps that you would have had to do to get this implementation before we had the resize observer and before we had the intersection observer. I've, yeah. I, I mean, I personally think that they're real game changers. And that is the reason that when I was reading about them, even though I didn't actually have a need for them at that time, just reading about them made me think, well, this changes everything with the way that we implement stuff. Um, so it's got to be something which... I keep on the that I keep in mind. It's got to be something that really improves things for for us as front end developers, and ultimately for for the users of our websites and web applications. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just so excited uh, by this development and by the the story and exactly the use case you said because you know you cut back to the early days of the web. Hey, you've got an image and it has a source tag. That's amazing, right? Even just that, um, but it you start running into problems with usability right from the start. You know, suddenly the iPhone comes out and, and there's all of these mobile devices accessing the internet and you've got these images that are just way too big. And, and it feels like images in, in the web have always been a bit of an afterthought anyway, as in um, talking last time about that Jeremy Keith um, uh, explaining how HTML by itself is responsive except for like the image tag, which you have to set a max with the hundred percent. Otherwise it just gets way too big. Um, but, but to look at the stages that have progressed since then, you know, um, that the, you know, wanting to deliver different quality and resolutions as, as even monitors started changing resolutions and, and allowing for more pixels or not, um, per square inch. Um, and then the picture element was developed and put out there. So HTML had a native way to handle this. Um, and then, you know, you you have these browser APIs, right, which which like uh, Intersection Observer, Mutation Observer, there's lots of others, but those were developed as well to solve particular problems and make it just easier on the developers. So you didn't have to do a lot of measuring the window and client X and all of this stuff that honestly, I think a lot of us still do. Um uh, not thinking that this is ready or maybe having to support IE whatever, uh, Internet Explorer something or other. Um, well, we do. But we yeah, do, in the in the projects that I implemented this for, I, we do support IE. Um, and there was a good poly, like, obviously at first you think, oh, um, this would be cool to use, but we support IE. So we're probably not going to be able to use this. But it was, to add a polyfill for this was, um, was not difficult. Um, and it works nicely for, for, with IE, so we get this. We get this across like all um, all browsers, all user experiences, which was really nice. I mean, like the the thing is, we don't. Uh, in my opinion, we really don't need to worry so much about that because um, the days those days are kind of fading out for me. I know that we still support. I know a lot of us still support IE, um, and we have to consider those things. But they really are they really are like moving away from that. I think that we won't have to worry about that so much in the future. Although, although mm -hmm. taking, going back to the, the tweet from uh, Adi Osmani, the, that Safari had just implemented it. So it's not just about IE. There's always going to be, yeah. I guess there's always going to be something with the, with the web. Some, some browser vendors are going to, 
not support something, which would be an amazing tool. For sure. And, and this particular Resize Observer has been ready for quite a number of years in the other browsers. It just was not supported by all the evergreen browsers. So once, as bad as it might have been for the web um, diversity, uh, Edge moving over to Chromium um, or Blink uh, was a good move in terms of now there's not one more custom solution that is potentially holding people back. So you still have to contend with Safari and the saying goes, Safari is the new IE. Maybe. Um, it, it has... No, I definitely see that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> I was going to try and be nice, but yeah, there's a lot of things that really kind of hold things back. Um, uh, including, by the way, um, that weird um, PWA um, security fix that they made, which basically like kills the ability to use progressive web apps um, like the same way you can on other browsers and mobile things. Um, that's an iOS thing, but still, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, you, you get a, you have a closed ecosystem, um, and one of the best things Microsoft has done in recent years is moved so much stuff over to open source, buying GitHub and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that um, anything uh, for me, it's always been this way. For me, I've always thought that the, the what the web is about is like everybody. Um, Sorry, the door's just going. There. There's always <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> um, yeah. For for me, the um, the thing about the web is it, it's always been open, and I, I've always wanted it to be open. Um, so when you see things like um, when things when things become really closed, and like the the move for um, Safari to not support like PWAs uh, as other as other browsers do, then um, like I think it kind of just holds things back. I can see why. I can see why. Um, vendors do this because at the end of the day they're businesses, they want things to be a certain way and they try to bend things to their will but I mean, like the rest of the world doesn't benefit from this really Yeah, I mean, and, and throughout history there have been browser wars anyway, Netscape and, and all that stuff back in the early days and up until now, but I, I guess what comes to my mind and getting us maybe back onto our theme a bit as well is um, the reason there are so many interesting things and tools is that the web is essentially always been open right? Um you you know have some way to to serve this and you have a browser sure you, you need those kind of base essentials but you type some text into a file put it up onto a server and you now have a web page right it's literally in one file you can have all that you need including javascript to run uh, a website you don't need 100 files or a build system or anything like that that's super empowering and it should always like we should always strive to make it remain that way um, and, I, and I think the other thing is, as a result of that kind of attitude of um, this is open to everyone, combined with the the you know open source communities in general, we end up having really cool tools, right? Because someone is bored one weekend, doesn't have anything to do, and says, "Oh, this has been bothering me. Let me make something to make this better," um, and then they do so, right? Um, you this is from a framework, you know, developer, like I work with Angular a lot, but the number of times I've been like, hmm, I'm about to implement this feature. It seems like something someone else would have done. Let me just do a quick search and there will be an Angular, you know, like module uh, that can be installed and used. Oftentimes I don't take it directly. I'll just copy and paste and tweak it to my own liking. But still, it's amazing how how many problems are being solved kind of constantly. And then people suggest improvements. They expand in scope. You get these really, really cool things to help out. I, what you do. I on, honestly, I wonder, I, I completely agree with you. I honestly wonder like at what stage, like how far ahead of the game you would have to be to come up with something that somebody needs that nobody has already written because like, <laughs> like think about it. Like this, it's, it just seems insane to me that, there isn't i don't know i mean maybe with uh with mature projects like uh, perhaps the ones that we work on um maybe you don't see it so much but that that you're going to need something um completely out of the box completely like left field but it just it astounds me that whatever you want is basically available like already it's like yeah you know, yeah who, yeah all these people who I create do. these things <laughs> Well, yeah, they're just all of us. I mean, I think that's the idea as well of our, our show's topic is these front end heroes. They're, they're everyone. We're all heroes it's, because it totally any one is. of us can, 
spend a few weekends putting together something or, or, you know, like, I don't know, some, some people are freelancers and they don't have to do their weekend work, uh, and others, you know, um, find time for it during their regular work day if their company's okay with that. I mean, it's pretty amazing the community that we have and, and the ways we push ourselves to greater heights. It really is. Um, and I, I think now at this time with basically like the whole of the world on lockdown now, like for many, for many industries, this is probably, this is, well, this is not probably, this is definitely like a real fallow time, real tough times. But this is the kind of thing which out of this, you probably see a huge, um, a huge output of um, creativity, of productivity from, yeah. from our community. I think this is the sort of thing where like, we are definitely affected. But I think that there would still be some positives to come from this in terms of in terms of the community. There's got there there must be because I mean take a look on Twitter like somebody somebody just for fun will do will create something amazing with CSS. The other day I saw somebody had created there was a couple of uh, images who'd created um, a PlayStation controller using CSS or recreated a whole uh, a keyboard using CSS and you think. Like these, there's no, for them, that's just uh, like drawing a picture used to be. Like that's just something nice and creative. But also from a code point of view, somebody somebody will have created something that is going to be super useful to, to the community. And I think that like the generation during this period is going to be like really big. Yeah, it, it brings to mind, um, I don't know, maybe a year ago, a little bit more, um, there, there was, um, you know, sketch started to take off as a design, um, tool, um, for designers. And at the end of the day, the sketch file format is readable, right? It, it is, um, something that can be programmatically edited and someone developed, um, this tool that basically allowed you to generate your sketch files, via react so all of a sudden your design document itself was being built as part of your you know build system um and it would take the components as you tweaked them and edited them and made sure that they were in sync and you could do an export because it wasn't you know you don't want the design system to automatically generate code, but code generating the design was okay. And and all of a sudden you have this really well integrated, if you have the the team set up for it, um, system where where you're going from uh, it, as you work in sprints anyway, as you keep developing things and you say, okay, we're going to have this feature, the document will, the design will change slightly. You'll update in the code that'll get synced back in. So then you know that what you're seeing in the design document is what's implemented in code, unless you specifically change it. It's super exciting. And like, I, can you even imagine that 10 years ago, you know? No, you can't imagine any of this stuff. I mean, like, I think I've touched on this before in one of the previous podcasts. I, for me, I mean, we're talking about like wonderful toys, but for me, the, the, the biggest game changer that came along was, uh, was dev tools. I mean, I can still remember, go, I go back to like developing and sticking alerts in, uh, into JavaScript, like just so I could see that the the, the process that um, things were going through. So, like the biggest the biggest innovation for me was was DevTools, um, yeah. and I still think that. I mean, like any anybody who comes to the to the team now, anybody who starts um, with us, um, the the thing that I'm really interested in. I mean, like I want them to to really understand how to use that and. Um, Every time that I that I push this to to people, uh, to to juniors, uh, the importance of this, uh, then you see something else in Dev Tools that you've not seen before, yeah, yeah. and you think, man, and and then but you see every time there's a new release and there's like five more things that are just that have been added, um, and it just makes things a little bit better and a little bit easier to to see what's going on, um, and I think that. That is just fantastic. I mean, like you could, you could, I, honestly, I think the days are coming when you're going to have people who are just dev tools experts and their time is going to be at a premium just because if everybody was a dev tools expert, then the development process was, would be so fast. It would be so good. I mean, that's for me, like that's the, the best 
uh, tool that came around for, for like the, the yeah, well, my whole career. <laughs> for sure. I mean, it is absolutely essential. I remember trying to do this stuff with Dreamweaver back in the day and was just like, I don't know how to fix this. And you would like view the source code. And that was like the, the best you could do to sort of peek into other sites. Um, yeah, total total game changer. And and but it's gone even further than that, right? Some of the tools that were being used to um to work from the dev tools, people realized could also work in an IDE, right? So you now have like your your code editor has uh, abstract abstract syntax trees, right? So it knows exactly um what things you're writing are which parts of like what kind of part of the language that you're writing in right so yeah. it can say hey apply this color to anything that's like var const let right because cognitively you don't want to have that be the important thing that pops out on you instead the variable name or you know the uh the method name or or the class name these things are the things that you want to have pop out at you um so you want to be able to highlight them and now that's trivial to do because of these syntax tree parsers um and like they probably came from dev tools if not i mean it's still an amazing thing and and i i guess where i'm going with all of that is that one of the reasons these things are happening is because people are developing with empathy which is to say the same as we are used to doing for the end user we are saying hey is this going to benefit the end user? How are they going to feel when they do this? Is this color combination going to make them, you know, progress or feel like they're blocked? All these kinds of things that put you into someone else's shoes. And once you get used to that habit, you start doing it for other developers as well. And you say, geez, if only as a developer, I find this really annoying. Maybe I can come up with something to help get around that. And now you have a debugger built into your browser so you can pause and step through code. And then you go, oh, hey, this um, it's really annoying whenever I'm using RxJS to go through into the random thousand likes lines of code loop as it checks like hey is there anything left in the queue no let's check again uh so like in black box scripts now and say like don't show me that when i'm doing my stepping through the debugging code i just want to see my own code it's really really great and really i don't know in these times especially it it reminds me like just to be grateful that this is the industry we're in where we're required to be empathetic and it has all these great side effects. Yeah, well, I guess what, really what you're talking about there is um, UX for, for devs. Um, sure. Like we've really focused on, or I, well, I, I think that the industry as a whole is really focused on UX um, for our, like our end users, for, for the, consume, the, the customers. Um, and I think what you're, it's really interesting to hear you talk about those, those innovations um, because it is true. I mean, like we do... We do almost. I, I think that we consider UX like as a as a matter of course now. I think that it's like kind of become embedded. But what you're talking about there is um, how the community is looking after itself uh, to make everybody more productive, everybody's life easier on a daily basis. Um, and they really these things really really do help. And the other day I was actually thinking um, about the the separation between um, like developers um been really interested in like making things good for for developers so like the the kind of front-end architecture like the the because now i really feel like there are people who are like architecture experts um yeah. there's so many tools around and they become like architecture experts and they they're the ones i think who you're kind of talking about they would be they would like fit into that category they're always looking at how can we how can we create a better development process? How can we create a faster development process? Um, what is it that's really holding us back? And people are so into this. Um, I think that again, the danger with the, the danger with our community is underestimating the um, just how big these things are. So, like, I I kind of feel like people are going to become more and more specialized. Uh, it, when they're working in, in the front end. Um, and that's why it struck me the other day that people like front end architecture and um, people who are really um, interested and really into innovating with that uh, are going to, are going to be different from the people who are really like, interested in like, the, the very end user. Um, they kind of, 
there's crossovers, but I kind of feel like people are going to start becoming like UX experts almost in, um, in architecture. Like how can we make the process quicker? How can we make it better? How can we get the people who are actually pushing the code uh, to the end user uh, to be able to do that quicker? Um, I, I, I don't know whether it's actually going to go that way or whether it already has actually um, without us really yeah. thinking about it. Well, I, I think it has. I mean, we talked about this, um, you know, over the last few years as well uh, within our, our own company of, you know, um, is it useful for us to still have a, a specific role as a front end developer? And yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, 25 years ago, that role didn't exist, you know, and is it going to in another 10 years? I don't know. Um, it starts to encompass so much that you feel like you have to break it down. And and even uh, I, I wrote a, an article for, for Dev2 just spilling my thoughts out about this uh, in particular. So I won't rehash it too much. But there's this concept of spanning different areas. You know, um, some people are good at sort of you know, being full stack, right? That's really hard to do. But if you know enough about each area, you can pull it off. But then even then you have your limits at the far edges. Like someone that is full stack is probably comfortable writing APIs and building up the visual stuff, but maybe they're slower at CSS or maybe they um, are terrible at design, right? Uh, they can't drift over into that area because their span doesn't reach there. And same thing on the back end. Some people are fine with the API stuff, but then they start to drift into like server side stuff or MySQL queries or whatever. And yeah, um, I, I think you're going to see more specialization, but I think that matters less as uh, what you're really passionate about. Because if you care about a certain area, performance or UX or whatever, there probably is enough to do like at least 70% of your work in that area, then feel free to call yourself a performance expert or, you know, um, you know, a, a UX, uh, UX dev specialist or something like that. Right. Because, what matters is that you're working on the things that you enjoy because that will also pay dividends. You'll get to give that back to the community as you expand your own horizons. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the really great thing about the community as well. Really great thing about the industry that you have opportunities to, it becomes so big that you have opportunities to really find your place. You really find like what you, what you enjoy doing, but you're not limited just by that. Like, so you could become a performance expert um, but really, um, you you have an interest in um, in UX, but you have opportunities to to grow into that as well. I mean, I, I think that the the one good thing about the the industry, well, the one good thing, well, one of the good things about the industry, is that you can really take yourself where you want to go. Um, I think that you're not in that sense. It's just not traditional. Um, you're not tied to, we work in offices, but you're not tied to like particular tasks. There's always opportunity for you to, um, to reinvent yourself or to re-educate yourself in a different section of the industry, but still be in the industry that you like, that you enjoy being in. I mean, there's always, and I think that really, I think it, that would really keep you fresh as well. Like people, it's like talking about, uh, this is like being on a, a reality show or something like that. But this is like, there's opportunities to step outside of your comfort zone. So you can get really good at something and you can be really confident in that. Um, but with that, you could also become a little complacent, maybe a little bored, but the industry actually provides opportunities for you to, um, to step outside of that, knowing what you knowing what you choose to step outside of and then take up is something which is going to be of benefit to, to the community, to the industry as a whole, and it's going to be valid. And I think that's a really like comforting thing. Yeah, I agree. I, the The thing that comes to mind, of course, when talking about the, the good parts, and at, at, that implies a certain attitude. And I do think that people have a tendency to get burnt out. You know, oh, hey, there's another new front end framework, right? That comes out, and if you're not in the right mindset when that comes out to see its opportunities, you won't look into it for like another two years and feel like you have missed the boat in the meantime, because suddenly it's super popular and you're not sure like how you missed it. Th that kind of, uh, I don't know. There's a mindset there that is, it can be exhausting because we're constantly adding new things and refreshing. And, and I guess the, 
I think that's obvious enough that I don't want to talk too long on that, but I want to phrase it as more of a, um, put it through a different lens, which is we say that there are a lot of cool open source tools and things and tricks out there. Um, and earlier I said, you know, when I look at this particular, you know, module for Angular, I won't like grab it directly and add it to my code. I'll instead copy and paste and trim. And I think there are usually two types of developers, right? Especially when you're starting, your tendency is going to be to say, hey, here's this thing, npm install, and make it work that way. And then you have this giant node modules folder. Whereas after a while, you start to realize that, you know, those libraries are meant for 100 use cases. And there's a whole bunch of code that is not going to be shaken out because we're still not quite into the, you know, golden era of tree shaking um, that you're going to be including in your your bundles because you added this library. And eventually you start to get into a mindset of, okay, well, if this is not a simple enough library, I'm just going to make my own version of it that only does the one thing I need for this to solve this particular problem because I'm not a library developer. I am an application developer, you know? Um, yeah, I, that that's kind of my own soapbox <laughs> at the moment. But um, yeah, these kind of tooling choices uh, really can send you down interesting roads of thought. Yeah, I think like to pick up on that, the, the thing with... Um, with developers in general is whether they, <clears throat> whether they actually realize it or not, um, they're mostly curious about how things work, about how they can make things better. Um, yeah. they are naturally that. Um, and I think that that's what draws them to, to the work. Um, they want to, you know, I think we can all remember when we made our first web page or where, when we first made hello world appear in a browser. I mean, like there, you, the people who go into the industry are the ones who think that it's amazing that they made that happen. Um, they, it, you know, at that moment, there's a big filter, like people of people who aren't interested in, in making things and are curious how that works, uh, are lost at that point. But then lots of us are hooked and think this is an amazing idea, or this is amazing that you can actually uh, present this. Um, yeah. So I think that people are just naturally curious. Um, and, I think that's really what drives on the innovation. That's really what leads you, for instance, to look at a, a library on NPM and say, actually, well, how does that work? Could I filter these things out? Could I cut this piece of code out? Could I just take this? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's the, the type of person that's really in the industry. But I, I think that that type of person is really what makes us uh, progress all the time. Um, that's what That's what makes the the people actually generate these wonderful toys that we're talking about. That's, it's the, the very character of the people that are actually in the industry that, that drives it forward. Yeah, thanks. That's a, a great way to, to look at it and phrase it. I mean, there, there is a reason that we have, uh, uh, well, I was really excited joining this company because my title went from front-end web developer uh, to front-end software engineer. And that engineer at the end was like, oh, yeah, that is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, t it, I'm honestly <laughs> totally with you. <laughs> I went from being like the web guy to, um, oh, yeah, I'm an engineer. <laughs> no, but 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 it is what we are we do. It, it's just that kind of tinkering and, and trying to get something that you know should work because you know the rules of the system to work. I never could do that with like mechanical means, right? Uh, I remember there was this challenge where we went to some theme park and everyone was there for the day and you had to take one sheet of paper and make it into the tallest structure you could. And, you know, you know you're 14 or whatever and you don't do a great job, but the guy at the next table literally made it seven feet tall or something like that. It was so tall because he understood the structural engineering things required for this. And I was just like, how? How do you do that? It was never my strong suit. And yet here I am building these really complex things because I do understand this. I have been poking and figuring out how these laws work. And now I'm sure I could probably build that structure out of paper because I have approached the engineering mindset from a different place. Yeah. It, this is, um, this is something which, um, I think is very relevant. Like it, it's, 
to, to people's mindsets. The, the engineer title um, and the way of thinking is definitely like for me, it made me feel like a lot better about uh, my career. Actually, like it made me feel like I'd, I'd progressed. Um, and I was the same as you. I, I think that I, I couldn't figure certain things out. I obviously like building things. I obviously like creating things. That's why I'm in the industry. And I do get that buzz from, I still get it from, from seeing the work that you've done and creating a new components or something like that in your application. I still get that buzz. Um, so I'm obviously the kind of person who likes doing that. Um, but for the life of me, I've never, you know, built a kitchen or, uh, or like been able to fix things like really fast around the house or anything like that in the way that I see other people do it. Um, like my brother, for example, is a builder. He's like amazing at doing these things. Um, he can fix anything. It seems like he can fix anything. And that kind of, mm-hmm. honestly, that kind of like drags you down a little bit that you you're like, <laughs> I can't do that. Like and my dad can do it. My brother can do it. My father-in-law can do it, but I can't. And then um, the engineer thing, when I came to work at NetCentric it made me realize, but you know, you do make these things like they're not, you haven't like put a new kitchen into your house, but you do on a, on a daily basis, you go in and you, you engineer things that people use. You, you make tools for people to use. Um, and that really, like that really made me see what I do in a different light just by changing the title, but it really brought it home to me. And now if, uh, if ever my girlfriend, says, why haven't you fixed this? My dad could fix this. I say, well, yeah, well, how is he with JavaScript? I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're both engineers, effectively. We both do the, we both do a similar thing, but. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, I, I think the mindset is what counts the most because I'm sitting at a table right now that I did build myself and I didn't think I could do that, but Hey, here it is. Um, I think what we lack actually, and this is maybe the first of our, um, listener questions, which when we said the title, uh, it just came out naturally this way is, um, what is your utility belt like, right? If you're, if you're a superhero and you're a self-made one, you don't have your magically granted powers, um, from above. Instead, you're a, a more of a Batman rather than a Superman you're going to have a utility belt. You're going to have stuff that helps you get your job done in extraordinary ways. Um, as a builder, you have, um, you know, hammer nails, these sorts of things. And part of the reason that we're not great at that is we don't know what the (laughs) tools we're supposed to have are all the time. Um, but what is it for you as a developer? What are the things that you reach for again and again? Well, I just try and hammer as much JavaScript into things as possible. <laughs> no, no. Um, Good old duct tape. Yeah, just, just. Well, if you can't, if you can't make it work, if you can't make it work with CSS, just put a bit more JavaScript in. That'll, be, that'll be the business. What else do you need? Um, um, uh, no, I would, I would say. Well, I touched on this before. The, for me, the first thing that. I, that I have in the belt is, uh, is dev tools. Like this, it's the most, if you, if you're talking about utilities, it is the most versatile thing that I could ever think of. Like, so number one, that's, that's in there. Um, do you know what number, number two? Um, and I think it doesn't even feel like a tool, but it is, is the web itself. Like, that's so I mean that is the other great thing about the industry like there's so much information out there there's so many people who are willing to share that the web itself is the most amazing tool to have in your tool belt um we've seen memes like you know if you don't look at google for 10 minutes while you're coding then you know you've done well but i mean it's a it's an exaggeration but like think about it i mean the resource that's out there like to, to help you do things. It's just, uh, it's just amazing. And the, the third thing, um, and I would say that this is last but not least is, is colleagues. I mean, like how many times have I, how many times have I turned to you, for instance, mm-hmm. and just said, um, could you take a look at this or can we discuss this? Or I've seen you, you've used this now. I've never, I never have. Could you like talk me through how you do it? Um, and that goes all around. I mean, 
this is going back to the beginning of this episode where we talked about the implementation for lazy loading images um, and for, for resizing them. Um, I did this, did a, uh, did a pull request and asked somebody to t take a look at the, the implementation. Um, and then from there, they came back and gave a few suggestions, but essentially said, do you know, I think, would you mind if I took this code and, and used it um, in my project? And so like, it went around to them as well. So your colleagues uh, are always uh, are always helping you out. I think they're, your colleagues are a great tool as well. I don't know whether this like covers like what you were thinking with the tool belt, but they were the three things that come to mind. I, I think I think you're being much more uh, genuine about it than the question might have been intended. I think that's great, though, um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, the the people, the the different brains, like the team that you have around you, they're uh, they're an invaluable tool. Um, the ones that I, I have here, which is maybe very potentially less heartfelt <laughs> than the, uh, the ones you suggested. Um, <laughs> I mean the the IDE the the editor itself um the for me that is kind of like you know the the heads up display that I don't know which superhero would have that but that lets them target onto a bad guy versus not bad guy right um it it is the cognitive help that that pushes stuff that's not doesn't need to be focused on out of the way and brings the more important things to the forefront. And that's, you know, file separation of concern in that, in that manner, for sure. If you're working on JavaScript, you want to be, you want to know if you're inside a particular method uh, or function, um, you know, you want autocomplete uh, for variables that already exist on the scope uh, and ones that aren't, you shouldn't see because then you've done something wrong and they, they shouldn't be there. All these little things that have added up over the last few years, um, to just a really amazing experience and feeling super confident and super powered. Um, that, that for me is my number one lately. Um, but other things, maybe, maybe more on the low level would be tools like SAS, right? Um, SCSS has really helped get my head around some core concepts of reusability, um, that it's really easy to sort of copy and paste code from one file to another because you want it to do similar things and just rename some classes. But if you can share that code with a mix-in or, you know, share variables throughout your code so you don't write your things in multiple places, or, or my favorite one is like the Z-index thing. So your SAS generates the Z-index for all of your, everywhere you use it based off of the rules you set. And if you add a new one, it doesn't throw off your whole website and you have to go change 99 to a hundred. And yeah, man, like that, that. Is, that is so underrated. <laughs> that is so underrated. It's amazing. Yeah. But the, these are the things that also, they make me feel like I have superpowers in, in hindsight, right? You might not always be at fast when you're starting or things like that, but after a while it's, you don't realize how fast they've made you go. You know, they're, they're like, I don't know, uh, the, the racing boots, um, that just have a little puff of air that makes you go a little bit faster every time. But by the end of it, you're a mile ahead of everyone else. Yeah. You know what, you know, the thing with the Z index, uh, honestly, um, I, I can, the, the more times that I use that and then junior developers come in who've, um, who've never spent their afternoon redoing Z indexes, like yep. one by one. Like I, I, I almost feel like my dad, like telling them, "Oh, you don't even know you're born." Like these, you, you, you children, <laughs> you children, <laughs> you, you don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing where someone was really annoyed that they had to do that and spend like forty minutes making sure that they found all the uses and were understood them correctly, and they used this tool that was already kind of there to develop a little sub tool that just made it work. You know, it's, it's the, the multi-level or whatever that electrical impulse where you can, you can measure like a stud finder or something. Anyway, it's, it's a great tool that's at your belt. Um, yeah. And for a third one, um, yeah, my mind kind of goes blank. I, I agree with you that the dev tools and, and things like that, but I mean, maybe it's just a simple thing like auto prefixer. Again, the, the, a lot of these things are part of the build system itself, you know, like we, we have this um, either auto prefixer or TypeScript in general. This like when I started writing stuff in Angular with TypeScript in particular, my mind was blown of like, how did I how did I even learn how JavaScript worked <laughs> before I had this? Because I, I didn't have a formal education there. So I didn't know like 
that you could coerce things. I figured it out over time. Um, but I, there was so much stuff about it. I didn't know. And it was very explicit in TypeScript. And I know I have friends, they hate it. They hate that it, it, they feel like it's limiting their freedom. And I always disagree. I'm like, look, when you're 15 years in or whatever, when you feel like, you know, JavaScript better than, you know, Kyle Simpson, um, sure. It can be potentially an annoyance turn off, you know, strict, um, turn off type checks then for yourself, whatever, if you're comfortable, that's fine. But for the younger people, for, for even for me, it is just such an essential thing. Um, and the auto prefixer one maybe is not is the fourth in the the tool. I think that's just a helpful thing. But so yeah, so you're going so you're going for TypeScript, yeah? I would, yeah. <laughs> after after talking it through, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you decided to change that, yeah. Um, yeah, the TypeScript thing's really interesting. I mean, I used it like, uh, a few years ago, um, but I haven't used it since. And I think, like, from speaking with you, like that you've that you've really enjoyed using it i think maybe we could do something about that in a future episode because um and maybe get somebody else who's like a kind of evangelist and tell us all about the benefits of using typescript because i think that would be really interesting to a lot of people but yeah if yeah. it's a especially if it's a especially if that's really a tool in your tool belt that um that makes you like you know feel like you've got superpowers then it's definitely something worth touching on Okay, so one other question that sort of comes to mind again on the the theme of the the topic um, uh, was: um, Have you ever outsourced to someone? Again, this is thinking of how Batman is, and he has um, I, I don't know the character's name, but he has the research and development department that makes him all the cool stuff. Or James Bond has his you know cue. Have you ever done something like that where rather than build it yourself, you've asked someone to build you something uh, that can help, I don't know, expand what you're capable of doing? Well, first, I think the, maybe the guy from Batman was called Lucian Fox. It was something like that anyway. Uh, <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Um, exactly. Um, do you know, actually, we I never have I never have pushed something to another company. Um Obviously, there's been times where um, I've asked other people in a team to take care of something because I knew that they were better at, the, at it than me. Um, just recently, actually, um, there was we. I, I did a project where, well, as part of my project, I actually um, changed the build system for uh, certain parts of the build system anyway. Um, and it became apparent to me that the architecture of the project could be um, handled uh, a lot better um, and made, made more efficient. But honestly, um, I don't have the, the, the knowledge for that. It would be something that I would have to really like learn, uh, take, spend a lot of time and, and do some, uh, and then do the changes. And I knew that we got a lot of talented people inside the, the company um, who were almost specialists in, in architecture. So I did actually um, ask them to take, to take a look at it. So it wasn't really outsourcing away from uh, the company itself, but it certainly was from like the mainstream of work that we had um, and asking for somebody else to come in and, and uh, make the changes that I felt were, were needed. And that honestly, that worked out really, really well. I, I couldn't be happier yeah. with what was happening, what, what happened there. I think that was a, it was just a great thing. It would have, if I'd have tried to handle it myself, sure, it would have been a learning process. Um, but I'd already kind of gone through one learning process by, by updating one part and realized that the job was just too big for me. It needed something to come in. Somebody needed to come and use their expertise. Um, and I was fine with that. Like, I, I really want to, where I can, I want to use people's expertise. Yeah, I, I think that counts. I, I I don't think the question was uh, intended to to say a, another company entirely. I mean, that's happened a number of times um, uh, that I can think of within our company because we have uh, two structures in place for that. We have an actual like uh, circle that deals with the development process, like within our holacracy structure, and they're the ones to go to for this because they're the ones setting up a lot of the shared tools that we use. And so if you want something to be expanded, like the front end build system, they're the ones doing that. Um, and then we also have a kind of a labs program where, you know, if something interesting comes to mind, uh, you can help push it through and 
if people have some free time, they can work on it um, because it would benefit the the company at large. One of those that happened recently was there was a a thing for Adobe Experience Manager. Uh, one of the components that was part of the core component set, which just wasn't quite right for all the use cases that we saw it as a consultancy ourselves um, coming up for for this kind of carousel. Uh, and as not as much as we shouldn't be using carousels, clients always ask for them, so that's that's what it is. So um, Natalia, who was our our fan from earlier, who asked that, she proposed um, a very specific project of saying, "Hey, let's extend this carousel component." But she's too busy; she doesn't have time to do that herself. So she actually went to the labs program, and we got some developers on hand to build that uh, solution. So I think it's. Yeah, it's absolutely great. And and the other thing that comes to mind, though, is that you might be the one that's being in the research and development department at any given stage, right? If you make that plugin for Vue that, you know, like allows your um, better interactivity with forms, like uh, our colleague Alvaro did the other day, right? He was that R&D guy. Um, I've not usually done that, but that is how open source works. At the end of the day, hey, here's an issue on GitHub. If you fix that, you're participating in that wider round. You are being the support network for whichever hero is using that at the moment. And you might be that hero as well in the future when you need that library. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that goes back to what we were saying before. The the industry definitely gives you opportunity to be that hero and to, to be the person who actually puts the... Um, something new out there that is going to be super useful to to everybody around the world so it's um and yeah like um all props to to alvaro when he when he did that himself i know that like he was super nervous about that um but he did it and it went and it was uh really well received so yeah the opportunity is always there yeah Okay. It looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please, please do the like, heart, star, whatever else in your podcatcher of choice. Um, those reviews and ratings are how people actually find our content and we want to keep going. Um, and the power to help us is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in the next episode, send a tweet to us, uh, Heroes Front End. Um, it'll show up on our phones. Like We'll, we'll respond right away. Please participate more and we'll add it to our list for discussion in the, the future until next time heroes remember with great front end power comes great responsibility see you next time <laughs>